you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I invite you to open them to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And while you're doing that, I want to invite you to pull out the sermon notes from the bulletin. But then even something else from the bulletin. This is Spring Forward Day. Did any of you feel that this morning a bit? Felt the hour less of sleep? Just part of spring cleaning, something I always like to do, is just to take an opportunity to collect a little bit of information. And so in your bulletin, there is a little tear-off sheet, a little perforated edge. I'd love for you to pull that out. And just in the spirit of spring cleaning, if you wouldn't mind just giving us your name and your address, maybe there's been a change, your email address, your phone number. There's even a question there if we can text you. Uh, Over the next few weeks, we're going to be gearing up for our uh, Holy Week or Easter week services, and I want to make sure everybody knows everything going on. Uh, We have special things planned for Palm Sunday, which is April the 14th. We have things planned for Good Friday, for the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter, uh, family egg hunt, and then services on Easter, which include a sunrise service, a breakfast, a uh, two services, our normal 9.30 and 11. But we want to make sure everybody has all the information, and we're going to use every tool we have to share that with you. Email, text messaging, we'll have it, of course, in the monthly newsletter. We'll also use social media like Facebook and others, our website. And so we just want to make sure we have all of your information so that you can receive all the details for these very, very important times uh, coming in a few weeks. So if you don't mind just filling that out, you don't have to do all of it. Just those key items of your address, your phone number, cell phone number, can we text you, email. And if you wouldn't mind just dropping that, uh, either leaving it in your seat as you leave today or just right out on the foyer table, uh, we'll take that and collect it and get everything up to date. Thank you for letting us do a little spring cleaning, spring housekeeping today. I want to ask you a question. Love to get a little audience participation. I want you to think of the largest group you have ever hosted in your home for a meal. What's the largest group, the largest number of people you have ever hosted in your home for a meal? Maybe it was Thanksgiving or Christmas. Maybe it was a birthday, maybe a cookout, 4th of July, holiday, maybe a Super Bowl party, something of those sorts. Now, now that you've got the number, I want you to kind of count how many people were in the house. Did anybody have more than 25? Okay, that's a good, good number. Anybody have more than 50? Wow, there's a few of you. I had more than 50 people in your house. That takes a little work, doesn't it? It takes a little coordination. Uh, in our home... Every Christmas, we have students over for a thing we call Christmas trivia. It's a night of trivia questions and Christmas songs and different little activities. And we kind of have students a little bit everywhere. Some on the floor, some in the, on the couch, kind of all over. But it's not really technically a meal. It's kind of a grab-and-go appetizers. The most people we've ever had in our home for a meal was a little over 40 people. It was a couple years ago. 
When I was serving over at Younger's Creek Baptist Church as their transitional pastor, we invited the staff and their spouses and kids, the deacons, their spouses and their kids to come to our house to Campbellsville. That was like a sacrifice for them to drive the 45 minutes to Campbellsville. But I even have a few pictures of that event. There were people everywhere in our house. We had some in the living room eating. We had some kind of in our little side room, some in the dining room. We didn't even have enough chairs for everyone to sit in. I had to borrow some from the university because we didn't have enough seating for everyone to be around the table. They were just literally everywhere. Teenagers, kids, families cooking a meal for them. Now, I want to ask you a question about what you have done for your home and maybe what we did for our home. Is it better to cook for that size of a group or cater out? What do you think we did? We catered. (laughs) We catered. We called our little barbecue restaurant in town, Brothers Barbecue, and we had them cater the meal. Actually, it was wonderful. Because a group that size, children, teenagers, young people, families, there's lots of preparations that have to go into feeding 40 people. You got to think about preferences. You got to think about allergies. You got to think about what people like and what people don't like. You got to think about how to get all that food prepared and warm at the right time so that folks are coming in and it's not cold or it's not uh, setting out. Now, I think we had potato salad and we had so much potato salad, we didn't have to have room in the refrigerator. We just had to hope that it stayed cold long enough for folks to eat. We had just 40 people. And it took a lot of work for Brothers Barbecue. (laughs) It took a lot of coordination. It took a lot of planning. And most importantly, it took a lot of time. Now, what if you multiplied that by a few more? What if it was 50 people? What if it was 100 people, kind of like our Wednesday night meal, give or take? What if it was a little more? Maybe it was 500 people. What if it was a thousand people at your house? Would they be out in the yard? (laughs) Maybe in the neighbors, out in the driveway, down the street, you know? You just hope they found the place eventually. What if it was more than a thousand? What if it was a couple thousand? What if it was 5,000? What if it was 5,000 hungry men plus their wives and their children, maybe 10,000. How much time, how much effort, how much coordination, how much money would it take to feed thousands of people on short notice, on limited preparation, on limited resources, on limited time? Matthew chapter 14 details one of the most famous, the most familiar, and the most well-known of all of Jesus' miracles. It's when he asked his disciples to feed a large group to the tune of thousands of people. 
And this morning, I want us to dive in. We're, we're in a series called The Chef's Table, and it's about how God invites us into relationship with him. He invites us to be at his table, his great banquet table. And there is no more pressing example of God's invitation for us to engage with him than Jesus's work with the disciples on this meal, this group meal thousands and thousands of people that they need to provide for. And what we're going to see is that through their example, we learn some ways that Jesus challenges us, even to this day. Matthew chapter 14 is our text, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 13, but just so you know what's happening right preceding this, Matthew chapter 14 tells us of John the Baptist and his execution under the hands of Herod. Not Herod the Great, the time of Jesus' birth, but Herod's son, Herod Antipas. And through God's grace, I've actually been to the exact place where John was imprisoned and the exact place that John was beheaded. It's still there to this day. You can actually even see the cell that John was kept in and see the remnants of the palace where ultimately his head was delivered on a platter. The scripture tells us that that news comes to Jesus and the location of the execution was in what is modern day Jordan and Jesus is in what's modern day Israel. So it took a little while for the news to get to Jesus. And when he hears of it, there is an emotional response that Jesus has to the death of John. You know that they were related. You know that John was the one who baptized Jesus. Even two of Jesus' disciples had previously been disciples of John and this news comes to them and that causes a disruption in Jesus' earthly ministry. He had been ministering to these crowds, but when he receives this news, he does something that anyone would do. He pulls away, goes by himself, and he grieves John's loss. Verse 13 picks up where this takes place. When Jesus heard about it, John's execution, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. Now when the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from their towns. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it's already late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them here to me, he said. Then Jesus commanded the crowds to sit on the grass and he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was satisfied. Then they picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces 
Now those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Let me share four ways that Jesus challenged his disciples. And in the same way, Jesus challenges us, his disciples. The first way Jesus challenged them and the first way he challenges us is that he helped them see past the immediate. Jesus helped his disciples to see past the immediate situation that they found themselves in. And and let's just unpack that for a moment. The situation presently that they're facing is one, John's execution. This is a sad day for them. It's a sad moment for every single one of those disciples. And it's a sad day for Jesus. Can you imagine hearing one of your relatives, one of your friends, someone that you've known was beheaded? And that his head was served on a platter before an audience? That's horrible news. It's terrible news. And in the immediate moment, Jesus is dealing with that and it causes Jesus to want to separate himself out from the crowd, to not be in the midst of the group because they're going to press in. They're going to want needs to be met. They're coming for him to heal their sick and Jesus pulls back. But even beyond that, the disciples are left with what to do with this crowd. Jesus, in many ways, is the entertainment. He's the show. He's who they want to hear from, who they want to see. It's not the disciples that are on display. It's Jesus who they have heard about and they want to hear from. And he's gone. He's out a ways. And they're moving from town to town along that coastline trying to find him. And the disciples are left to deal with this group. And all day long, they're coming. The number is growing. Even such that verse 15 tells us that when evening comes, the disciples go to Jesus. He's been with them now. He has been rejoined by them. And they're trying to explain to Jesus, we got a problem, sir. We got a problem, boss. This place is deserted. It's getting late. Send these people home. You ever had a group over at your house that just wouldn't leave? And and you do little things to try to give them the hint. Well, whoa, let's get the coats, you know. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, you kind of give the notes, you know. Oh, it's getting getting late. They won't leave. And so you try other little subtle ways to give them the hint that it's time to go, it's time to finish up. This crowd won't go anywhere. The disciples go to Jesus. Jesus, okay, come on. We need an executive decision here. We need you to kind of give the hint. It's late, there's no food. Send these people back to their homes. They can get themselves something to eat. They got a food problem. Let's get them back home. Let's let them deal with their own issues. And the reality is they're dealing with the immediate. And friends, this is what I want to tell you. There are times in our lives where we can only see the immediate. We can only see the 
now, that this minute, this hour, but through Christ and through God's spirit and through the wisdom of God, if you walk with Jesus long enough, you'll be able to see past the immediate into something that God has orchestrated and designed that's more than what's right now. The longer you walk with the Lord, the longer you walk in fellowship with Christ, your ability to see beyond the immediate becomes more and more capable. There's the wisdom that comes. There's the guidance that comes. There's the the sense that the Spirit gives you this knowledge that there's more to it. And they were facing an immediate situation, but Jesus is helping them see past that, see something better. It reminds me of that wonderful chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's like when a parent has to tell a child who comes home with a bad grade, hey, you still got a whole semester. You still got more to go. You still got a whole class to finish. There are times when all we can see is the immediate. All we can see is the now. All we can see is this moment, this problem, this situation, this thing we're dealing with. And through Christ, let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, ask him to help you see past that to see what might else be coming, that this is just a momentary situation that you must face in light of his glory, in light of his grace. He helped them see past the immediate. But secondly, he helps open their eyes to see the real physical needs before them. Verse 15 again, he has heard that they are wanting the crowds to leave. He has heard the disciples call for them to be dismissed. He's heard the disciples say, let them go home so they can buy themselves food. And Jesus in verse 16, this is a key verse, brothers and sisters. Jesus responds, they don't need to leave. They don't need to be sent out. You need to buy them something to eat. You need to provide for them. You need to fill their request. Men and women, brothers and sisters, for every disciple of Jesus, for every follower of Christ, there's gonna be times when we're confronted with the need and the, there's a trap to just be blinded to it, to overlook it, to glance the other way. And you're gonna feel the nudge of the spirit of God. You're gonna feel the nudge of God's very, very voice saying, you get involved. You step in. You write the check. You invite them into your home. You stop the car, turn around and help the stranger. You step in. And you be a light. It is so easy for us, brothers and sisters, to to become so glossy and so blinded to real physical needs. Because it, it doesn't impact us. 
It doesn't show up in my house. It doesn't show up in my world. I have other things to attend to, other things to manage. And in the spirit of God, when he really wants to get you into ministry, he will cause this nudging, this urgency, this heartbeat to come up that says, I got to do something. I got to respond. I got to step in and serve. And if you haven't felt that in a long time, I call you now as your brother in Christ to open your life to God's spirit so he can call you to step in. That's when you're utilized the most in God's kingdom. It's not when you're blind or glossed over or completely superfluous to the needs of others, but when you step in. But it's so easy to avoid it. Several years back, we were serving just south of Cincinnati and my pastor came to me and he said, Shane, I need you and Jennifer to help with something. There's a young lady that needs a place to live for a little bit. Now we were fairly newly married. We didn't have children, but we did have a little rental house and we had an extra bedroom. And he explained that later that evening he was going to drop her off to let her stay in our home. But here was the catch. She had been involved in prostitution and that she was currently being chased by her pimp. Now I'm going to tell you, in complete transparency, a lot of thoughts went through my head that day that were fairly ungodly. Should I lock stuff up? Should I hide things? Should we leave her here by herself? Is it okay for us to be here with her? Do we give her a key to her house? All those thoughts and a thousand more. Like, do we hide the fine china? <laughs> like we had any fine china. I mean, jewelry, credit cards, what do we do? I'm telling you, all of those thoughts went through my head. Later that evening, she showed up and Jennifer's here. She can tell you the story. She didn't say a whole lot. And she was as awkward and uncomfortable as we were. We talked for a few minutes in our living room and then she asked if she could go to bed. And she went in our little back bedroom. And interestingly enough, our bedroom was right next to her. And we just kind of whispered to each other, should we go to bed? Should we lock our door? She was with us for maybe two weeks, three at the most. And one night we were watching the news, again, just south of Cincinnati, the local media. And there was a shooting in downtown Covington and her pimp had been killed in some sort of gunfight. And the next day she packed up her things and she left. I don't know where she went. I don't know what her life has included since. But I will tell you, that couple weeks pushed me way outside of my comfort zone. Because it was my home. It was my house. It was my safe place, my sanctuary, my fortified castle. Letting someone in my life and in our home and in our environment, that really pushed me out. But my pastor probably knew a little something that I didn't know. 
he was asking us to not turn a blind eye, but to lean in, to serve, to share, to get involved, to meet a physical need of someone who is in desperate, desperate trouble. And I don't know this to be sure. I'm just speaking from what I might have. It could have been her in that gun battle that night. She could have been beaten. She could have been killed. She could have been lost. And that couple weeks of hiding out in a rental house with the garrison clan could have made the difference between her life and her death. Brothers and sisters, we, we got to meet physical needs when they are presented to us. And it is so easy as we become more and more comfortable with our own homes and our own safety and our own security to completely become blind to the physical needs around us. But Jesus is calling you and he is calling me to step in, to meet physical needs that we see around us. Maybe he's calling you and I to just be open to having our eyes made aware Because we can drive by things every single day on our commute, every single day on our drive, and never see what's really before us. It might be that we just need to ask Jesus to take the veil from our eyes and give us a real heart and a real set of eyes that can really see real needs. And I think it needs to happen here at Cecilia Baptist Church. We can become comfortable. We can become complacent. We can become so secure in locking up our doors and locking up our church and making sure everything's comfy and cozy for us Christians and completely miss that there are needs all around us that God has planted us here to serve in, to step into, to be the light of Christ in a place that's dark. Friends, I don't know about you, But I don't want to be the disciple that tells all the people to go away. I want to be the disciple of Christ that calls people to come and see that the Lord is good and serve in an opportunity that God calls us to. What about you? Do you need your eyes open to physical, real needs around you? Well, let me... Continue here with what happens because it actually gets even better. The disciples, verse 17, say, okay, Jesus, this is what we got. Five and two, five loaves and two fish. That's what we got. You're telling us to feed these people? We got five and two. Five loaves, two fish. And I think it's interesting that that's not even enough to feed the 12 disciples. You ever fed 12 men? It's going to take a little bit more than five and two, isn't it? Even if the fish were like 40-pound bass, that ain't going to go far, is it? But here's what I know. Here's what I know. That Jesus multiplies our modest gifts. Jesus multiplies our modest gifts. They don't have much. In practicality, they can't even meet their own needs. They can't even meet their own physical hunger. They got enough for five and two. They don't have enough to cover 12 people, much less 12,000 people. But Jesus, through his power, friends, let me preach a minute. Jesus, through his power, will multiply our meager, modest gifts and multiply them for his glory. He will multiply them. Now, here's, here's where it really gets going. Here's where it really hits, hits the rubber, meets the road. You got to put that willing, meager gift in his hands. You can't hold it. 
If, if you have a little gift, a little gift of music, of art, a little talent, and you put that in the hands of the master, you say, Jesus, it's not that great. It's not that whole. It's not perfect. It's not something that can be in Carnegie Hall, but I'm just gonna give it to you. Do you know what Jesus will do with that little gift, that little musical talent, that little skill? He'll multiply it to bless people for his glory. If you've got a little bit of leadership, maybe just a little bit of management skill, just a little bit of how to do things with people, and, and you're, not, you're not a CEO, you're not a Fortune 500 company owner, but you're just willing to take that little gift of leadership, that little offering, and you say, Jesus, you multiply it. If you put it in his hands, he will set you so you can lead people for his glory. He'll multiply it. I have seen it time and time again. And if you want any proof, take any little monetary gift. You know, you have a little tithe, a little offering, and we know that it's not the amount that matters, but the gift, right? And you just take it, and it's like the widow's might, those two little copper coins laid before Jesus, and he said to the others, what she has given is more than all the rest combined. Because she gave out of her poverty, not out of her prosperity, Friends, I'm telling you, if you put your little gifts, your meager, modest gifts in the hands of Jesus, he will multiply them every time. The question is, will you even offer your five and two? Will you even offer what little lunch sack you've prepared? Or will you hold it all to yourself? feeling like you don't have anything to give, you don't have anything to offer, you don't have anything worth any value. Oh, friends, can I just share something from my heart with you? If you even have any talent, any skill, any gift, any ability, it's not yours. It was given to you by God to be used for his glory. It's not yours. Oh, I've seen it time and time again. Someone who's unwilling to use that gift, unwilling to use that talent, and before they know, you know what happens? It's gone. It's the parable of the sower. A little bit of seed that is utilized and is offered, is multiplied, but the seed that's hidden is lost. You see, he multiplied their modest gift. But lastly, I want to share this with you, brothers and sisters, as we close. Jesus helps us see past our immediate. He helps open our eyes to see real physical needs. He multiplies our modest gifts. He invites us to be satisfied in him. I, I just want to land on this because it's part of the humor of the Bible. Do you know that the Bible is funny at parts? <laughs> Ironic. How many baskets were left over? Twelve. How many disciples are there? Twelve. Who's doing the cleanup here? The... Families have all left. They've all had their fill and are satisfied and they leave. And the disciples go around and get the baskets. Now, I'm just using my imagination. I have a colorful Bible imagination. I don't see a little Easter basket. I see a big wash tub. Big basket. 
And every disciple is going around and filling up their big baskets so that when they line them up, there's 12 of them. And you know what those 12 disciples got to do? They got to carry their leftovers back to town. Because they're not staying out in the woods. They're not out in the hills here. They're going to carry these back in with them. And can you imagine how many days they ate out of their basket? It's a whole basket. One for each of them. And I, I, I think it's heavy. That's how my mind works. I don't think it's like something you sling on your back in a backpack. I think they probably took, a, <laughs> took some lifting to remind them, to remind them they only had five and two, but through Jesus, it was multiplied to feed thousands. And now they're carrying, they're carrying in a sense, the leftovers of his glory. And every time they sit down and have a little snack out of that basket, they're going to remember, I didn't have much to give, but through Jesus, everybody was satisfied. And I'm satisfied. And the crowds were satisfied. The multitudes were satisfied. Because Jesus invites us to be satisfied in him. The author John Piper says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Friends, Jesus is all satisfying. He will take your meager gifts and he will multiply them in such that you will carry the weight of his glory with you and be satisfied with him and him alone. Jesus helps, helps us, doesn't he? He helped them and he will help you and I. Let's pray together. Father, in the midst of this most common, most familiar, most retold of all Bible stories, I pray that your spirit would speak fresh, has spoken fresh. And there may be some right now who say, I can only see what's right before my face. I pray right now you would help them see past that to something greater, something more glorious. For those that maybe need their eyes to be opened, the veil to be lifted, the scales to be removed from their eyes so they can see real physical needs that really need your touch. I pray right now you would call brothers and sisters to not walk aside, but to step in. Father, maybe there's one that says, I have a gift, but it's so small, so meager, so modest. That you would help them lay it before you so that you can multiply that. Maybe they've neglected the gift. Maybe they've put it aside. Maybe they've felt like it was too insignificant. And even today, you're calling them to let someone know, I have this gift, I have this opportunity, I have this skill I'd like to serve. Maybe more than anything, Jesus, I pray that today we would be satisfied in you. That we would feel the weight of your glory, the weight of your magnificent glory. We would find that all of our needs, all of our longings, all of our hopes and dreams can be satisfied in you. Or whatever your spirit is saying today, I pray that we would respond appropriately and that we'd be obedient to your word. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Would you stand?
The altar is open here. If you'd like to come and pray, you're invited to do so. I'll just be right over here. If you'd like me to pray for you, I would be so, so glad to do so. You respond now as God leads and as we sing.